When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Pop Culture Confidential, and I'm Christina Yerling Biru. Hey everyone, so glad to have you with me. This is Pop Culture Confidential, a part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. Don't fall in. It's as simple as that. Those are the rules for what, during the height of the pandemic, became one of Netflix's most popular shows, Floor is Lava. Based on a childhood game that most of us remember playing, remember jumping from couch to chair and careful not to fall into that lava. Floor is Lava is one of countless unscripted reality hits from my guest, super producer Arthur Smith who over the past few decades has built a TV empire of 200 shows for over 50 networks. His shows include mega hits like American Ninja Warrior, Titan Games with Dwayne The Rock Johnson, and Hell's Kitchen, to name a few. Arthur Smith, who was named Producer of the Year in 2020 by Broadcasting and Cable Magazine, and was inducted into the Real Screen Hall of Fame in 2021, has for decades seemed to be plugged into the zeitgeist in regards to reality and what TV audiences want. He talks to me about the evolving genre, his success with putting everyday people into extreme situations, essentially making normal people superheroes. He talks about the reality genre's future in today's nervous TV ratings landscape his lifelong passion for making television, and of course, the inside details on how and why Floor is Lava was and is one of Netflix's biggest successes. This season, there's bigger obstacles. Use that upper body strength that you don't have. Okay, what? Hotter lava. This looks like my stomach after milk, girl. And a huge... Volcano. They are going to the volcano. Let's go. Let's go. Oh, that's so slippery. This is incredible. Oh, God, I got lava on my face. I'm not kidding. I'm going to have a panic attack. I got it in. $10,000 and the floor is lava lamp. Oh, my gosh. Who's it going to be? This is floor is lava. Jeez, is it hot in here or is it just this team? We're the beauty. There's no brains here. Mr. Arthur Smith, thanks so much for joining me. My pleasure. So you and your company are behind some of the biggest, most original nonfiction successes on TV. You were named Producer of the Year 2020. Suffice to say, you know this world. I've heard about you that you love getting ideas, and the crazier and most outrageous, the better. Tell me a little bit about that. What are some of the crazy ideas you've heard, and and how does this process look like? Well, you know... I believe if you let yourself go and, and not be afraid and it's a safe room, you'll come up with great ideas. And sometimes they start in crazy places and then you work your way back to something that's logical, sensible and, and has broad appeal. And it's funny when we think about 
when I think about some of our biggest hits, like Hell's Kitchen, you know, in 2004, there hadn't been a successful food show on network television. And it was kind of crazy. It was kind of crazy. We were like, now it's like standard fare. We've been on, you know, we just did 20, season 21 and season 22. We just taped those shows. You know, at the time, no one knew who Gordon Ramsay was in America. Uh, there had never been a food show, uh, a successful food show on network television. You know, there had been stuff on Food Network, et cetera. So when we went to Fox and, and talked about, we want to build a restaurant, we want to have a live service, we have the chef, Gordon Ramsay, it was an unusual idea. So you take a risk. And, and similarly, you know, with American Ninja Warrior, which is now in season 14, uh, an obstacle course show in primetime network television, another big risk, another kind of way out idea for, for the time. I mean, you know, and, and, you know, we had such an unusual route. Our show started actually on, on G4, on this little cable network. And then as luck would have it, Comcast had bought NBC. G4 was part of Comcast. And purely as an act of synergy, we asked NBC to put our finale on just to throw promotion. Never did we expect to be in our, four, you know, our 14 season doing 30 plus hours of primetime network television. So sometimes you take big risks, things that seem that they wouldn't work or you break patterns. And What did Netflix say when they said, I want to fill an Ikea with 80,000 gallons of lava? Yeah, yeah, I know. It's the same thing as when we talked to Netflix about, you know, this season we want to have a volcano. And they went, what? And they go, yeah, we need a volcano. I mean, after all, where does the lava come from? Yeah, I, you know, listen, I, I believe this genre um, is best when it does take risk. And, and when, you know, everything that we develop, we try to not be derivative of something else and to bring out fresh concepts because I think the audience, you know, appreciates that. And, and one of the reasons why shows don't work is if they have the original and it feels like a copy, they don't like the copies. They like the originals. And thankfully, if you have one of those longstanding shows, Hell's Kitchen, Survivor, Big Brother, they were original at their time and they're still on the air. But getting into that, we've seen these big reality competition shows evolve for so many years now, like you were mentioning Survivor, endurance shows, datings, bachelors, cooking. You've been in this space for a long time. Uh, how have you seen the nonfiction genre change through the years to reflect the times we're in, so to speak? You know, I think, you know, television is always our content. <laughs> it mirrors what's going on, on, on in our society. So I think We've seen the pattern, but, you know, one of the things that I feel that the audience of today wants more than ever is authentic television. They really want to see things that are really authentic. Anything that feels overly fabricated or overly manipulated doesn't work anymore. It's kind of an evolution of the genre. At the beginning, there was a lot of things that were manipulated and very structured and, and things like that. And, and that has led to a lot of growth in the factual space, a lot of growth in the documentary space. Documentaries are now hotter than ever before. And, and so I think, you know, one of the trends that I've seen and one of the things that, you know, we had a, someone came in and pitched us a show the other day and uh, without getting into details of what the show was, it was a very structured studio show with a very talented personality. And I looked at it and I go, you know what, this feels like a standard studio show and it's going to feel like the same. I think the better show is following this person around and seeing what they do and seeing their real life. I don't want to pitch a show, a big variety show with three judges standing there scoring. I just don't, I, I think we have to evolve. I think we have to take it to the next level. 
So it, it goes back to what I said before, you know, uh, freshness, originality, but clearly there's, there is a push to more authentic uh, and less manipulated uh, programming in the genre. Do you see that the genre mirrors like um, things that are happening in society, politics or whatever, what people are going through? For sure, for sure. I mean, you have to you have to be conscious of the times, and, and sometimes you're. Uh, you have, I mean, you have to you have to assess the mood of of the of the country. For us, when we were producing programming during the pandemic, uh, we never wanted anyone to feel like they were watching a pandemic show. If if you can recall, there was a lot of shows that came out initially that were zoom zoom shows basically zoom shows with celebrities at home and things like that and that was fine but our, we we felt we wanted to go in the other direction and and that's why even though we shot floors lava hell's kitchen uh welcome to plathville uh american ninja warrior all during the pandemic it never felt like it was shot during a pandemic you know we we went through um a lot of work to you know to create this safe environment for our crew and the cast and everything else and thankfully you know, we didn't have any outbreaks or anything like that. And because we felt like America or the world, yeah, the mood was, is like the last thing you want to do is be reminded that you're in a pandemic. Sometimes you're actually, you know, thinking about what's going on and you don't want to be an exact, you know, reflection of what's going on. You want to, you want to go back to the, uh, to, 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 to pre-pandemic times. So, but, but I hear what you're saying. I mean, in terms of whether it's, we, you know, we did a show for, for the own network, Oprah Winfrey's network uh, this year. Uh, which I'm very proud of, um, and it was it was um, called Profiled um, a Black Man, and it was about uh, myths that are associated with with African Americans, you know, male African Americans, and you know, we dispelled a lot of those myths. And you know, clearly the timing for something like this, considering what was going on in the country, we felt was you know the right it was the right time. And our partner on it was uh, Tina Knowles, Beyonce's mother, and she had a great vision for the show. We partnered up. And, you know, like I said, we're very proud of it. So, you know, sometimes you're looking at what's going on in the country and what, what programming would work. And, you know, you come up with ideas that, were, you know, that, that are in sync with what the, country, yeah, what the country is going through. So another thing I hear about you is that you're just one of the nicest and most dedicated <laughs> guys in the business. But in terms of some of the hosts, I mean, thinking of Gordon Ramsay and sort of the on-air talent, people like a good, mean, harsh host, right? How, how important is the, the character of the host? It's the first table, come on! It's raw! Get out! Get out! Get the f*** out of there! Well, the character's everything. I mean, there is... <laughs> there is listen, even though Gordon Ramsay wasn't known to uh, America at the time, we knew he was special and we knew he was a talent. And the thing about Gordon and- He's a teddy bear, right? Well, he is, <laughs> by the way, he is the most charming, nicest person you can find. Um, he's, you know, he's incredibly diplomatic and, and reasonable and he's, and, and he's a pleasure to work with. The thing is though, he is, he's a perfectionist and you know, he, he's tough, but he's fair. You see it, what happens, you know, with Hell's Kitchen, our, our, everything is very purposeful. And, you know, right from the very first time I met with Gordon, when I sat down with him, you know, we discussed all the qualities that make a great chef and, you know, palate, creativity, leadership, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I said to him, every challenge that we will do, will you know, we'll examine one of those qualities or, or, or dive into one of those qualities. 
And every challenge that we do is purposely. Yes, there's a lot of showmanship. When you break it down, there is a purpose for what he's doing. The other thing about Hells is that he does have a limited time to fulfill a real job. <laughs> so it's a boot camp, and he wants to shake that. You know, he wants to shake. You know, the the weak ones free or lose the weak ones early, and he tests them and he pushes them. But as the show evolves, you could see Gordon being more mentor. You know, he's become more of a mentor than a disciplinarian because he knows that he's got the, you know, the talent. That once we get to black jackets on Hell's Kitchen, he becomes more of a mentor and less of a disciplinarian. Um, but he never loses his toughness, but he's always fair. It's always fair. It's always called for. If you think about why he's angry or, or, or why he's upset, it's, you know, in the right, um, you know, with the right intentions. But let's, let's turn to the floor is lava. When it arrived mid-pandemic, summer 2020, it's, and I'm sorry for this pun, you've heard it a hundred times, erupted. Science, science, science. Science, science. Hello, podcast fans. Want to get weird with us? Come check out the Mad Scientist podcast. We are a weekly show that looks at the history, philosophy, and hard facts behind your biggest paranormal questions. Did the government really pay for a psychic spy program? Yes. Is it true that surgery got its start in grave robbing? Yes! Can a roller coaster really kill you? Legally, we can't say so for sure, but sometimes... Yes! Join myself, Chris Cogswell, and my co-host, Marie Mayhew, as we examine the science, philosophy, and history behind the strange and unusual. All to discover what's possible and plausible versus what's, well, just made up. Check us out wherever you find your favorite podcasts. The Mad Scientist Podcast. Um, the show is the most popular show in the country then. It was number one. Um, why do you think people were so passionate about it? Well, I think it's, it, uh, you know, it harkened back to a child's game or a game that grown-ups still play. I mean, like, it's funny, on, on TikTok, there's all these people jumping from couch to couch, and they're not kids. So <laughs> I was like, I, I can really get a kick out of, uh, out of, of what's going on on social media um, uh, about the show. But I think it just... It's, it's kind of silly and everybody's having a good time and everybody embraces the kind of the silliness of it all. I mean, we're, we're <laughs> I mean, you, if you think about what the concept of the show is, um, it's just fun. It's pure fun. I think it's a great escape. You know, it always amazes to me when they die and they fall into the lava, how, how much they embrace their death. I mean, how, how much they embrace You're that. You're not asking them to do that. They just... It started, you know, it started in season one and, and, and I think it just became a, a thing. And then it's not only how they die. Yes, we are, we are asking them, but, but we don't have to ask them in season two. So if, if the, the groundwork was made in season one, they know what to do. But the other thing is the reaction of the person who's, who still, you know, hasn't fallen into the lava, their reaction, oh no, oh no. You know, I, I, just, I just think that, that's, that's so fun. And the, and, and the celebration of, of completion is, is at a whole other level. I think audiences are enjoying the silliness of it, the not taking themselves too seriously, and that everybody embraces it, you know, and, and win, or, win or lose. Honestly, everybody who comes on, you know, Floor is Lava, has the time of their life, whether they whether they win or not, and that you, you can't say that for every other competition show. But I I, I know it's like because you know we're there and we we thank everybody when they leave and we see them as they drive off the you know the lot and they said they had the time of their lot life and, and you know three of them had fallen into the lava. So <laughs> uh, and the rule's so simple, just like just don't fall in. That's it. 
But talk about this production, the set. I was mentioning it was 80,000 gallons of lava. Um, 90,000 about... 90, 90, in season two. 90,000 in season We're going to get to that, the bigger <laughs> season two. But yeah. the production design on this, I know that you were inspired by several movies and things. Talk a little bit about that. Well, the, I think the rooms have to be a little bit whimsical. I mean, there's a little bit of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids in there. You know, you can feel it. You know, the garage has a 1956 Porsche in the middle of it. The, you know, the game room has this giant foosball. Um, the haunted house has uh, the spinning gra gramophone. The kids' room has a trios. And, you know, there's a monster under the bed, kind of, you know, you know somewhat of an homage to Stranger, uh, Stranger Things. So, I mean, there's clearly, you know, we're, we're affected by you know, pop culture, movies, classic, you know, iconic things that you would expect to be in the room, but we're taking it to a whole, you know, a whole new level. And I mentioned it was in an Ikea, an old Ikea in Burbank. Um, yeah, not this season. Oh, okay. That was the first Last season. season was. Okay. Yeah. Um, and what is the lava? Well, we can we cannot reveal ah. the secret <laughs> recipe of the lava. Um, and we, we actually upgraded it from season one to season two. It's got, it's thicker, it's goopier, it's stickier, it's slip, it's more slippery. Um, and um, we, uh, during the off season, between season one and season two, we spent a lot of time with scientists, <laughs> true, true story, scientists developing a better lava. And um, so, yeah, but I can't, I can't reveal it, but okay. it kind of feels, it kind of feels like somewhere between slime and glue that's what it feels like yeah slime and it and glue. smells like bubble gum i've heard um some people have said that and if you mentioned it was slippery there are some real wipeouts on this show i mean is it as dangerous as it looks you know just like american ninja warrior and the titan games and now flora's law everything that we do everything is prototyped everything is prototyped you know in a warehouse way before we get on set with testers to make sure safety is the key. We don't want anyone getting hurt, obviously. Um, and, you know, that is that is paramount to everything that we do. So after, you know, testing it a number of times, rebuilding, refabricating it in a, in a warehouse, we bring it onto set and then we test it again and we test it again and again and again and again. And then we have safety coordinators on set and uh, as best we can. Listen, anybody can hurt themselves on a, in a physical competition. Yeah, sure. It looks show. like it. When I mean, it's it, it is a physical competition show, so things can happen. But we try to keep as safe as we can, and and if there are injuries, hopefully they're very very minor. Um, and you were mentioning this new season. It's, it looks bigger. It looks brighter. The the lava is exploding more tell me a little bit about some of the new additions you know we looked at the first season and you know we wanted to protect what people liked because it was obviously very popular and you know the spirit of the show hasn't changed you know the the concept of the show for the most part hasn't ha hasn't changed other than we added you know the volcano end game at the end which i'll talk about in a second but one of the things that we noticed in the first season was that there was a tendency for the, th the three teammates to follow a similar route once they found a route to get out. And sometimes we would, you know, there was these great builds of the rooms and they weren't using the whole room. So this year we added these, these things called exit passes. So there's three exit passes. And, and basically the exit passes are placed strategically throughout the room. And the idea is that you have to get an exit pass before you leave the room. The reason why we did that primarily was by putting the exit passes in in different locations and each team member having to get one it 
they ended up using the entire room. They ended up playing with all the stuff that we wanted them to play with. And, and so that was good. The other thing, the secondary benefit of that is because there's a lot of failure on the show and people are falling into the love and some people never get out, at least they got a chance to celebrate when they got an exit pass. So it's like, <laughs> as you can see it in the second season, I got an exit pass. So these, these moments of celebration, even if you don't get out of the room. So it, 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 it provided, you know, one, the gameplay was better. Two, it provided moments of celebration. And three, it gave us something more to talk about. And they were more strategic about it. Mm -hmm. So that, that, that was the reason why we added the exit passes. Um, the least subtle change, <laughs> of course, was the volcano. Like I said, you know, where, where was this, all this lava coming from? It was, you know, it had to come from somewhere. So we're at the volcano, which was breaking through the house on the roof. So we love the idea of having an end game where the teams go head to head. And it's great that the first part of the, you know, the first part of the show is, you know, the three teams going through the room, you know, one team gets eliminated based on how many people they get out or maybe how many exit passes they got, because that's another way of keeping score. That was another benefit of having the exit passes. It's another way of keeping score, but we love the head to head race and, and uh, it provided a lot of fun. And it's funny every time, and you can see it in, in the episodes, every time they walked out to see the volcano at the end, they were completely freaked out. They were completely <laughs> freaked out. Cause it's, pretty, it's, two, it's, it, it's, it's two stories. It's two stories. So it's like, we got to climb up that now you know, shooting lava all over the place and it's bubbling up and everything else like that. And they, they, they already know how slippery the lava is. I mean, they just went through the room, so they have a sense of how slippery this thing is going to be. So every time they came out, there was like, oh my, oh my. And you, like I said, you can see it in the episodes. Those reactions are the genuine real reactions when, when, they, when they saw the volcano. There's so many celebrities that were tweeting about this, you know, that love it. Are, do you ever think of doing like a celebrity addition and like Lin-Manuel Miranda and yeah sure I mean yeah there, I, I think I think it would be great I mean I think there's um you know we'll, we'll see who's who's brave enough and I think it's always fun to watch people that you know from somewhere else compete in a very silly ridiculous over-the-top game so uh, yes I I welcome it and 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 hopefully uh, Netflix will have us back and we'll be doing another season and, and uh and there could be a celebrity addition in that that would be great so um, it's an evolving, even a nervous time, one could say, for a TV and film. Netflix just had its quarterly report. You know, mm -hmm. there's rumblings of subscription losses and linear TV has challenges in film. In terms of your genre and reality TV and unscripted, do you worry? Um, no, not really. I mean, you know, for us, I, you know, it's funny. Having been doing this for a long time, you know, our company is going into our 22nd year. And prior to starting the company, I was a head of program and production at Fox Sports. And really, reality television really wasn't even talked about then. It was more, you know, variety and documentary. So I didn't know it when I decided to start a company. I, I was very into nonfiction programming, whether it be documentaries, music, variety, game, comedy. You know, as, as a kid, I, I grew up reading nonfiction. And, and that, was my, that was my thing. I just loved nonfiction. Uh, of any kind and and you know our company is a reflection of that you know where we we do every genre within this this world people call reality television so over the years <laughs> i have heard oh reality television is over and as as in 2006 it was it was over you know and, and and you know it's a fad 
and it evolved and it changed and you know docusoaps became popular and and other you know other types of programming became popular so I, the, the genre is here to stay we have to you know be cognizant of what's going on at the networks and, and certain networks uh, certainly our business is affected by changes at any of these companies but as far as being a content producer for these many outlets i personally think it's the golden age of television i think it's the golden age of reality television there are so many outlets and so many places to provide programming you know and it's funny when we when we develop a show where we we develop development is, is all about the, the passion we feel towards a project and usually it doesn't start with the buyer it starts with what we love and then we find a buyer sometimes i will say we, we get a tip from a buyer what they're looking for but most of our organic development starts with things that we'd like to say and, and and our development department has free reign to develop in any genre whether it's game whether it's game or documentary or variety or sports entertainment or reality competition whatever it is and then we look at the landscape and say you know what this would work for this network sometimes we'll develop something that only works on one network you know we have a docu-series called welcome to plathville that's um, that is in its fourth season. It's on TLC. That show was developed purely for TLC. We 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 found this very unique family, and and we knew it would make this great docu soap. And we said this is a TLC show, and we went right to them. And thankfully, because <laughs> it was really made for them, thankfully they saw what we saw, and you know now we're in our fourth season. So final question: Do you have a dream show or a dream pitch that you've not been able to get through yet, but a crazy idea that you really want to do that you hope to be able to do one day? You know, I um, I'm a little hesitant to say what it is because I may be pitching it in, in the next ah, few weeks. I won't tell anyone. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, and and by the way, that is I mean it's a great it's it's a great question, but it's a question that's going to go unanswered because part of my excitement and thrill of what I do is is thinking about you know shows that I've always dreamed about doing and American you know American Ninja Warrior for me was it is is a dream show now it wasn't our format it was based on a Japanese show and the general manager at G4 um, Neil Tiles was a colleague of mine at Fox Sports and he had you know sent me the tape of this Japanese show and he, he said do you think there's an American version of it and I said, yes, but I really want to lean into who these people are. I really want to lean into the plumber and the, and, and the, you know, the dental hygienist and, and who these people really are. Ordinary people doing extraordinary things. I want the obstacle course to be a metaphor for life. I had this whole thing and, and, and a whole vision for the show. And I said, because if we just treat it as this obstacle course show, it's very, very narrow. If we tell great stories about who these people are, you know, it, we can really broaden it out. And, uh, and for me, being a sports guy and an entertainment guy, it was the blending of both worlds. And a lot of people, you know, outside of the NFL and, and you know, the World Series and the NBA Finals, you know, sports is primarily, primarily relegated <laughs> to sports networks because it's not broad-based. So with Ninja, I had a belief that we could broaden something like, something like this out and it could be for a broad audience. But so, I mean, you know, for me, like this, this, this industry, and I, I feel so fortunate. I'm so grateful that that there is this this great opportunity to, you know, fulfill crazy ideas and get them on the air. And it's still, I still get excited every time I show up on set on Hell's Kitchen and and you know look at the restaurant that we built and and working with Gordon. I'm 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 excited as the first day I've done it, and I am on set every day. I'm chairman of A Smith and Co. and uh, 
And I still I sit in that control room every day, um, never missed a day on set and for 22 seasons. I wouldn't have it any other way. I'm not sure I answered. I, I, I totally avoided your question. Yes. But, 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 <laughs> but I understand but, why. But, but, yes, but you understand why. Thank you for that. Thank you for being so understanding. Yes. But so the next show that comes our way from you may be that dream project you're not telling me about. That's what I'm Oh, it, it will be. Because when you start, when you, you know, the, the wonderful thing about whatever it is, whether it's doing the Titan Games with Dwayne Johnson, which was a dream show for me, you know, we, we wanted to do a, a show that, um, you know, where you take everyday people and make them into superheroes. And we needed someone who embodied that spirit. And, and that's Dwayne Johnson. So getting to work with Dwayne and creating something as epic and with, with the scale of Titan Games was, was a dream. They all start off as little things, you know, you're in your office and you're, you're thinking of an idea and then you start telling other people about it and then you show up on set and there's a crew of 300 people and it's massive and it's, it's amazing. It's still, it's still you know, I, I will never get tired of that. I will never, I will never be complacent and I, will, I, and I will never stop being grateful, as cheesy as that sounds, I will never stop being grateful. And, Maybe it's maybe I wasn't as much so when I was younger, because when you're younger, you're just so trying to get ahead and, and, and trying to get things done. But, you know, certainly, you know, as I've gotten older, I appreciate every time I'm on set. Thank you so much for taking your time with me. My pleasure. Thank you. Bye. Take it easy. Thank you so much to Arthur Smith. Flora's Lava Season 2 is on Netflix now. And thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe to Pop Culture Confidential wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time. Hey, hey there. there. I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are we are always unpacking that very question on sleepover cinema check out sleepover cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com see you soon